versus being blessed, greedy being greedy versus being blessed. And at the last, uh, the scripture, that Timothy scripture, Second Timothy, or, or excuse me, First Timothy, uh, after he talked about the love of money, Paul then says to flee from those things. And uh, since I've seen you last time, which has been maybe about 24 hours, <laughs> God's got to speak them quick to me. Amen. God started putting in my heart this idea of fleeing. And I knew there was other places where he had mentioned it. And I went back over them. And today's message, I believe, is going to encourage you. So the, today, the title of today's message is Flee from Sin and Come to God. Flee from Sin and Come to God. And I want to talk to you about, uh, first of all, what this definition of the word flee means. It kind of looks like the word fuego in the Greek. And I want to give you the, the proper spelling for it here. Like I said, it's like the word fuego, but I'll give you the, the proper spelling. It is P-H-E-U-G-O. Doesn't that look just like fuego? Other than uh, the F, it's a P and an H. And the way it looks like it's pronounced is fugo. Fugo. So everybody say fugo. Now this word flee that is used in every instance that we're talking about today in the New Testament means to seek safety by flight. As a metaphor, it means to shun or avoid something, especially vices. It means to run away, to vanish. When we look at this word being used in other parts of the New Testament, we see that when Herod was going to kill Jesus, Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt. They ran away. They knew that Herod was going to kill the firstborn children. Uh, Lily, join the group, please. So they fled away. They fugoed. They fled from danger to get away. Later on, you see in Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 3, John the Baptist says, to the Jews who warned you to flee from the coming wrath of God. That's Matthew 3, 7. So John the Baptist was saying, God's wrath is coming. You need to flee. You need to get away from it. Also on down further in the book of Matthew, when he talks about the end times, Matthew 24, 16, and the invasion of Jerusalem of the Romans, which we know happened in 70 A.D., he said, then let them which you are in Judea flee into the mountains. Everybody say flee. We know the Greek word fugo, to get away, to run, to take flight, to seek safety. Joseph and Mary had to take safety and go to Egypt lest they be killed. John the Baptist was saying, flee the wrath of God lest you go to hell. Jesus was speaking to the Jews when the time of oppression would come, an invasion. Flee, run away to the mountains. Now I want you to see how Paul uses this word. Paul uses this word four times with four different things to flee from. First, turn with me. The first Corinthians six eighteen. Flee fornication. Everybody say flee fornication. In the NIV it's sexual immorality. First Corinthians 
6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Everybody say, flee. You are commanded to run away and flee from sexual immorality. Where do we get this illustration in the Bible? Who's the person that fleed from sexual immorality? Joseph. Potiphar's wife was coming on to him, wouldn't let up. Eventually she took off the robe. Guys, you you think this would be easy? Think about some of you who can't even be trusted by yourself in a room with a computer. Imagine a beautiful woman with riches and power being able to give you whatever you want, secretly manipulate you to whatever power and riches you want, pulls off your clothes naked in front of her. What did Joseph do, the Bible says? He fleed. He ran out of there. What are you willing to flee from to get out of sexual immorality? Are you willing to flee from being in a room alone with somebody you're not married to? Some of you are like, well, we're engaged, Pastor, and we haven't broke the rules yet. But let me just warn you by those who have already broke the rules. You may need to flee from being alone in a room. Some who have already broke the rules now cannot be alone until they get married. Because the Bible says to flee from it. Now, why are we fleeing from sexual immorality? Why is there such a strong warning? Run away. Seek safety. Well, the Bible says that it's a sin against your own body. And the Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. He says here in this scripture, Paul says that your body does not even belong to yourself. I wonder how many of us who have been tempted with sexuality, immor- sexual immorality have thought of our body as God's body. Would you take Jesus' body and put it with a woman like that? Would you take Jesus' body and then have sex with yourself? We'd call that molestation. You say, Pastor, that's a little gross. That, that's a little stretching of the imagination. No, it's not. He says your body is actually his body. And when you sin against your body, you are sinning against him. He said, flee from it. So what are the boundaries we put up in this church that you would flee from sexual immorality? Don't get around your girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, fiance by yourself in a room where you could fall into temptation. Because I guarantee you, you're not going to have sex, oral sex, and bumping and grinding with a bunch of people around you. Unless you're just nasty, amen, which I don't think some of you are that nasty. So if you're always around people, then it can never happen. Some of you have said to me, Pastor, well, it's so hard to fight temptation. Let me tell you what you do. Flee from it. Don't put yourself around it. It's your own fault if you go into it. We've heard this illustration in the church, but it's good to repeat. People say, well, I fell into sin. No, you didn't. Like we're going to say, you poor little thing. Oh, I was just walking along and trip. Oh, I fell into sexual immorality. No, you didn't. You got on your bathing suit. You put on your little cap. You put on your goggles. You climbed up the ladder. You tested the water before you went. You bounced on the ladder a few times. And you said, here I go. I'm going to be by myself. I'll go in the car by myself. Oh, you can sit on my lap. Oh, we can kiss a little bit longer than we should. We can hold hands a little bit longer. You purposely did it. 
because you didn't flee. What's the difference between somebody like myself and someone that's not like myself who was unpure in sexual things? It's because they don't want to flee from it. They want to play with it. And you might say, some of you, well, Pastor, you know, well, we're married now. Or, or you know, we just, we just got through it. I've taken my lick and I've taken my rebuke. My friends, you've got a long life ahead of you. If you think marriage is the cure-all to your sexuality, my friends, you haven't been married long enough. Because after a little while, you're going to get tempted right all over again. And just having one sexual relationship is not going to be enough. Because your body desires more. Your lust of the eyes will desire other women, other men. And if you don't flee from it, it will captivate you. It will tempt you. It will bring you down. Every day I have to make a decision in my heart to flee from cheating on my wife, both mentally, physically, emotionally. And every day I make that decision to run from the sin and run to God. Where are we fleeing to? Are we just running and running? No, I'm running to God. I'm running. I'm running. I'm running to the mercy seat where Jesus Come on, I'm running to Jesus where he has mercy. The Bible says, boldly come to the throne of grace. Matter of fact, I want you to turn there with me in the book of Hebrews so you can see where you're running. Flee from sin and run to God. The book of Hebrews talks about the throne of grace, that you're coming boldly to the throne of grace. I'm finding it here in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, if you got it, come on. There it is, 4.16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, talks about where we're running to. The Bible says, let us then approach. Oh, first of all, just go up to the uh, uh, verse 13, uh, verse 15 rather. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So don't have some condemnation, pity, patty party for yourself. I can relate to sinning. You can relate to sinning. Well, what are you going to do about it now? Relate to Jesus who has been without sin. I don't want to look to you as my example if you're falling in the same area I'm falling. Find an accountability partner that doesn't fall in the area you fall in. Find somebody that does it better than the way you've done it. Don't look for a crutch, an excuse. Well, they messed up, so I'll just go to them every time I have a problem. No, find the most holiest person in that area and go to them because they won't tolerate your excuses. And they'll say, oh, 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 oh. no, you're just making excuses again. You don't have to do that. Find people that are strong where you are weak. And for all of us, our priest is Christ. Go to him because he'll always tell you, you don't have to sin. He'll always tell you, oh, oh, there's a way out. Let me, let me show you the way out right here. It's, it's going to bed early. It's shutting off the computer. It, it's saying goodnight to your girlfriend and, and not trying to sneak around the building. It, it's shutting off that TV before it arouses things in your mind. It's stop looking at the... God will tell you the way out because he did it. He said, I was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. Now keep going. Verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is that saying grace, Lily, in our time of need is just when we have sinned and now we're saying I need forgiveness? No, that grace in our time of need is saying I'm about ready to sin. I need grace not to sin. 
See, we look at grace just as after the fact. I've sinned. I need to be forgiven. What about grace before the fact? God, I'm about ready to sin. Help me not to do this. By the grace of God, I won't sin sexually against my wife. See, that's what that statement means. By God's power in my life, by his love, that's grace. I don't deserve it. By his love and strength, I won't give in to that sin. We will be faithful to each other till death do us part. Amen? So the Bible says to flee from sexual immorality. The second thing that he says in the same book in Corinthians is to flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Fugo. Therefore, my dear friends, free, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. He's saying communion is holy. You're worshiping the God of Israel. You're partaking symbolically of his blood. You're partaking symbolically of his body. And you are unifying yourself with all the body of Christ, which Jesus says the head. Now, don't put anything before that. Idolatry, to put things before God. What would that be like? That could be your career. That could be your family. That could be, you know, it's real easy, by the way, for us to say, I'll deny my family. When you're talking about leaving a house that was in sin, you know, well, I could leave my family for Jesus. Dear God, I wanted to leave them anyway. Well, that's easy now, you know, or you just had a spirit of independence. Oh, yeah, I'll deny my family. The Bible says, you know, if you don't hate your mother, brother, wife, oh, I'll do that easy. I've been wanting to get my own car, and I've been wanting to live on my own. But what are you going to do when it's talking about your boobster boob? What are you going to do when it's talking about your honey bunny? What are you going to do when it's talking about your beautiful babies, your beautiful children? And the Bible says the kingdom of God comes first. We're not talking about neglect, but we're talking about God's principles come first. That means there are certain things in our house that we're going to put before our own conveniences. It may not be convenient to homeschool, but I'm going to homeschool because it's for my children's sake. Because I put God before even what's most convenient for them or for us or their friends or whatever other things they may want. And then think about yourself. You can make your, your relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, can I get some water, please? You can make your relationship right now uh, idolatry with your husband or wife. Well, I just want to make sure that they're always happy. You used to witness. You used to spend time with the Lord. But you're just so concerned, as the Bible says now, with satisfying the, the person you're married to, that you've all, already put God on the back burner. I'll tell you something right now. The best husband you'll ever be is when you spend time with the Lord, men. The best wife you'll ever be, women, is when you spend time with the Lord. Nancy knows not to take those times away from me with the Lord because those times with the Lord make me a better person. Can you take off the cap for me, please? Thank you. You need to make a decision in your heart that no idol will come before you in God. What other things could become an idol? How about ministry? How about you start getting your own name on the door? You got your own office. You got people calling your name, telling you on Facebook how awesome you are. You encourage them, sending you emails. And then before you know it, you're not spending time with the Lord like you used to. Only time you read your Bible is when you need to get a sermon. Only time you pray is before you get out to preach. You could make ministry a job. 
And I know for some of you right now that seems so far away. And I know 10 years ago when they told it to me, it seems so far away. But now I can see after all these years that ministry can become an idolatrous thing. That we can put before God ministry and no longer be servants and no longer be the people he's called us to be. What else can be an idol? An idol could be your dreams. You could have dreams right now that aren't God's dreams. You could have plans in your life that aren't God's plans. You could be thinking to yourself, man, I would love to live by the beach. How many of you have a favorite city, country, location that you would just love to live in, live by, that that you would just love to do that? How many have places like that? Adolfo, I need you to put on more lights. It's too dark in here. I have favorite places. There are two favorite places, and they're both, uh, in, in one sense, in the same place. That's the beaches of California and the beaches of Florida. But they're both at beaches. You guys get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. If, if I was to sit down like some yuppie for Jesus pastor and then just, you know, put out my fleece, oh, God, I'll go wherever uh, the insurance package is the best. <laughs> that's my fleece before the Lord. Oh, you're giving me an insurance pack. Oh, that's the, oh, that's the one I was looking for. Thank you, Jesus. You confirmed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens in ministry. And then your dreams, you see, you put your dreams before God. Oh, I want to live by the beach. Or I want to live in this country. Do you know how long God has been putting in my heart to go to other countries? Since I got saved 15 years ago. And I had many opportunities, but they were never the opportunities that God was giving me. And so I could have made my own dreams an idol and put them before God just to go be overseas. Or just to go pastor in Florida. Or go live in California. You see, you can make idolatry out of your family. You can make idolatry out of your ministry. You can make idols out of your own dreams. What's the opposite of an idol here? What are you fleeing away from? You're fleeing from the idols. But what are you fleeing to? You're fleeing to Jesus. Not my will, God, but your will be done. Where do you want me to live? Joe, I want you to leave New Orleans and go up to the frozen chosen of Chicago. I want you to go to a place where the sun goes down at four in the afternoon. I've already put you with all African Americans. Now you're going to start off with all Latinos. Have fun. Figure it out. Yes, that's what God, see, God's plan won't always make sense of how you think it should make sense. You see, we'll make idols out of our own dreams. Well, I should have a car. I should have a house. What if God called you, as he did that one pastor, to be a garbage truck driver and to work in the ministry until your ministry could pay for your, your, your full-time family? Would you sacrifice? What if God called you, like he called me, uh, to have your wife work? And that burns every male ego out of you because you want to work. You want to provide. But God says it's your wife that's to work. Would you be able to accept that as backwards in your mind as that could be? Or would you make an idol out of something else? I also believe that we make the things of God, idols, out of the place of God. Meaning, I think sometimes we worship worship. I think sometimes we worship, worship leaders. We worship the songs. We worship the goosebumps. Do you know that Paul didn't have any of this? 
even for me, a Pentecostal pastor, put up the music. Let's feel the bass. Do you understand that they had none of that? But yet they felt God so strongly. They didn't even have instruments. And yet the presence of God that we feel here is even less in comparison to them because they were so strong where they were buildings would shake. Priests would fall to the floor, couldn't even minister anymore. See, it's like we worship worship. It's like we worship the authors of these books. Okay, what I'm going to do, boys and girls, is I'm going to take the words of Jesus that were like two sentences long, and I'm going to write you a 300-page book explaining those words of Jesus. My friends, whatever just happened to reading the words of Jesus? Oh, oh, do you got so-and-so's book? Oh, so-and-so's book is so prophetic. It's got so much stuff going on. Oh, it's so special. Special. Oh, it's all about this person. They got to Hey, I got the Bible. Guess what? Oh, have you talked to so-and-so? Have you gone to so-and-so's conference? Have you heard what so-and-so? Oh, you got to listen to this. You know, you know who I talk to? Jesus. Yeah, I get to talk to him. It's like we make idols out of things in the church. I have nothing against uh, the people who have gone places. We haven't gone, done things we haven't done. That's wonderful. But never make them an idol. They're just like you and I. And, and, and the more you get to meet, the more you'll realize they have just as many weaknesses as you do. You'll never find them to be this, this oh, they're so great. No, if, if, if you think you can find pastors that have less weaknesses than me, you haven't met a lot of pastors. Yet. You'll meet pastors and, oh, there's their weaknesses, there's their weaknesses. If you think you'll find worship leaders with, with less weaknesses than ours, no, they all have their own weaknesses. They all have their own attitudes. They all have their own corks. They all have their own manifestation of pride. They all have their way of wanting to do it their way. My friends, it's your job to go before God. So you're called into the ministry. You're not called just to be uh, my biggest fan. You're not called here to be, uh, you know, what do they call those things, groupies? And when they start those pages, what do they call those people who start those fan pages? I can't think of the word. No, but whatever that is, you're not supposed to be that word. And I'll think of it later in the message. You're not supposed to be a groupie to me. It's not just, well, Pastor Joe's so awesome. Like you get around your friends. Pastor Joe's so awesome. Oh, he preaches so good. That church is so awesome. Man, Pastor Joe, he's the best pastor. I mean, I get around, you know, people, and that's all they do is talk about their pastor. It's like they've made their pastor an idol. Fan club is what I'm talking about, being a part of a fan club. You're You're not here to be a part of Joe's fan club. And you're not here to start your own fan club as another man made idol. Like you see in televangelism. Not saying people on TV evangelizing are wrong, but how they make them an idol. Well, welcome to the Billy Bob Show. Billy Bob, the anointed, appointed man of God, will be preaching to you today. Give it up for Billy Bob. Here he comes. I've always thought less of that. I don't know if that's effective, but it always seems like once the men of God get to so high, it's like the Billy Bob crusade. Come out to the Billy Bob crusade. And maybe that helps because people recognize them. But I'll tell you what, if I ever get to a point like that, I'll be fearing God so much. I would rather have a name. Like we're, we're, we're the Metro praise. This is a crusade. than just to say that name because it's like you're coming for Billy Bob. Just be careful. I'm not judging those who say, I mean, you know, who have those names. Billy Graham's had his name on his every crusade. But I'm just there's a lot of people that put their names on things. And it just, it just makes me say, boy, if I ever had that, I better walk humble before God. 
I'm going to so-and-so's crusade. They're going to save me. They're going to pray. Oh, I got saved there. They saved me. Boy, you better be careful when they say that about you. Well, you know, Griselda, she saved me. Now, I'm not saying we have to walk around like, you know, in sackcloth and ashes when somebody compliments you. You're a great worship leader. No, I'm not. I'm just the scum of the earth, but God is everything. I'm just a worm. I'm just a worm. I'm not talking about this false. You're so good with the children's ministry. No, I'm not. I'm a wretched sinner. My mouth is an open grave. Deceitfulness is only inside of me. There's nothing good in me. When people pay you compliments, just say, thank you, we give glory to God, or I give glory to God. If they're speaking to a ministry like Metro Praise, we love your church. Amen, thank you, we give all the glory to God. Just something like that. You don't have to be so kooky where it sounds dumb, and don't be so ultra humble where it also sounds dumb. Amen? Everybody say, flee idolatry. Amen, I think you got the illustration of that. Don't worship ministry, your family, even your own dreams. Let's go to the next one, 1 Timothy 6, 11. Paul's still speaking, but now he's talking to Timothy. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. What is he talking about fleeing? Because he said, flee from all of this. What is all of this? Who remembers? No. What is all of this? Quick question in the sermon. Who knows it? Does anybody remember what yesterday's message was on? I gave you this in the introduction. To flee the love of money. Going up to the verses before. Starting in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... Is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So what does it say now in verse 11? But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Point number three is flee from the love of money. We made a decision in this church that we would not beg. We would not talk people into it. We would not do anything of that for our own ministry. The only thing we would beg and plead for would be for missions towards somebody else. But when it comes to us, it's just nice and simple. Here it is. This is what God has told us to do. This is the vision. We need to do this. I want to just give you an example of one need being met in this church without having to love money. We have to get the building permit. The building permit was estimated at first to be $7,000. So we uh, needed to get the lawyer and all of these things in order. I'm on the phone talking about it. One of the new members of our church hears me talking about it. They say, what's going on? I say, we need to get a permit. It's going to cost about $7,000. We have the interaction, our meeting. After the meeting, he texts me, and he says, God told me to give $1,500 towards that need. Hadn't even presented it to the church yet. Boom, need was already starting to be met. During this time, in tithes and offerings, we just come before the people and, we, and, and I say, uh, we give our tithe to the church, offering to God. You can offer to the missions by circling missions, circle building, and it will pay for this permit. We need about $7,000. We're raising hundreds of you know, dollars as we go along, two, $300 here, $1,000 here. Got it all the way to about $4,000. Yesterday, said we're not going to take it longer than a month because that's what God told me to do, uh, and not to talk about these types of needs more than a month. So I said, that's it. 
We took in about, and we needed $1,000 yesterday. We took in about uh, $230. wasn't a great offering, one of the lowest, actually. And I said, okay, God, you're faithful. That's it. We're done. We're putting it in your hands. Somebody then texted me today and said, whatever you're lacking, I want to give. I said, this is what we're lacking. They said, it's done. All of it's done. There it is. It's that simple, friends. You don't have to beg for it. You don't need to be eager for it. You don't need to run after it. You start with the little he's given you, and you be faithful to it. Can you turn on the air to 71 if it's not there already? If it is, just kick it down, baby. Thank you. When we pursue money, we fall into many griefs. When your mind becomes money in ministry, people become dollar signs. And before you know it, you'll be corrupt in how you run your church. Because what will happen is Daddy Big Bucks will start making the calls. And I'll never forget, a young lady said to me when we were church planners, she was a youth pastor, she said, I don't know if I could be a church planner and have to rebuke tithers and suffer in that way. That's right. A youth pastor's wife said that because they were just paying for her, giving her a budget. But what do you do when you have ten people and your biggest giver says, this is what I want? And you say to them, no, 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 you're not getting that. And they go off and leave. Nancy and I have seen that happen throughout the time in this church. When we first started this church, there was an individual giver that came to me and said, anything you need, let me know. We'll do it. Okay, we need a shed in the back. Okay, boom, paid for. We need lighting in the building. Boom, paid for. We need things to store, drawers to put things in. Boom, paid for. We need a van. Here, take our van. This is your van now. All the things we needed. We need to go to Mardi Gras. He faithfully kept his word to give all the things we needed. But he himself had issues in his life. And it got to a point in the discipleship, because that's when I was doing it one-on-one with everybody, it got to a point where he said, this is who I want to be. This is the habit I want in my life, the sinful thing. I will still come to your church, but let me work on this in my own time. And I said, brother, I can't let you do that. Because if you claim to be in Christ and you're telling me you're going to willfully sin, you are not a part of this body. The Bible says I have to ask you to find another church. And he took the rebuke. And that may be hard for some of you to understand. And eventually he stopped coming. He said he was going to try. But he stopped fighting. And we didn't neglect him. It wasn't done out of a mean spirit. It was just done in the sense of we're not going to let you continue in sin willfully saying you don't even want to try because he had been with us for about two years and you not want to move forward we're not going to let you do that we're not going to let you hide in this church amen so you don't love money now we talked about last week uh, a son that just passed you can get it online greedy versus blessed somebody might think well i can't be greedy because i hardly have any money some of you who don't have any money we're going to battle it with it the worst Because you don't have it, you're going to want it the worst. And when somebody else gets it, you're going to get jealous. Whenever you hear somebody get a financial blessing, whenever you hear somebody get a job, whenever you hear somebody get something that you've been praying for, let me tell you something. Jealousy will cut off your blessing right then and there. The first thing you need to do is give God praise. Say to your friend, high five, our God's a good God. Say it to yourself, God did it for them, he'll do it for me. But if you have jealousy, it will cut you right out of God's plan. God will not move upon your life because of pity. Well, he feels sorry for you now because you didn't get it and somebody else did. No, God's going to move in your life based on faith. 
And I look at how we started this church. God did not feel sorry for me that my wife had to work. God did not feel sorry for me that I had to stay home with four people and then, you know, write books during the day. God did not feel sorry for me. God told me to be faithful. God told me to be a tither. God told me to give to missions. God told me to go on mission trips, to preach in Teen Challenge weekly. That was another thing I filled my time with, preaching to the poor. And as I was faithful, God rewarded faith. God is not a rewarder of doubters. God is not a rewarder of pity patty parties. Otherwise, every one-eyed homeless man limping along with his little I'm out of work sign would be given a million dollars from the sky right now. God does not reward that. What does the Bible say? He rewards faith. Those who diligently seek him. So don't love money. Don't seek after money. Don't seek his hand. Seek his face. Flee from it. And what does the Bible say to flee to in this situation? I'm fleeing from the love of money. And what are we fleeing to? Righteousness. Pursue it. Run after it. Righteousness this means to live right. Pursue after. Pursue the things of being right. I remember the time that I was uh, buying computer programs off eBay. $700 for a used Adobe uh, suite with all of the video doodiddles I needed to do video editing. Long story short, somebody spammed me and said, I've got the burn copies for $25. Nobody would have known. Nobody's ever asked me, where do you buy your software at? But you know what? It wouldn't have been right. Because that's called stealing. For him to burn a CD and give it to me, that's stealing. I ended up buying those CDs for $700. That's right. Don't pursue the love of money. Pursue righteousness. You say, well, I don't have a lot of money to tithe off of. You can't, somebody might say, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe, baby. You're, you're in a financial situation. Your only way out is to give. Give your way out. Amen? Seek his blessing, not his curse. Trust me, it will not get better for you. The next thing the Bible says is to pursue godliness. That means to be like God. What do the angels fly around his throne and say? God is holy. So be holy. Live a life of holiness. Next thing, pursue faith. Well, we just talked about that. How do we get finances? By getting faith. Faith is the answer to every problem in your life right now. Faith. Faith in the Word of God is the answer to every one of your problems, every one of my problems. How many know if Jesus was here right now, he would tell each one of you, what you, or if he asked you, what's your problem? Well, I have problems in school. I have problems with my family. What do you think his answer would be? Have faith. He goes to the next one. What's your problem? Well, I don't have a lot of money to pay my school bills. Ministry is a little tough for me. What would be his answer? Have faith. What was always his answer? Have faith in God. Have faith. That's the answer, my friend. To believe and trust in God's Word. That's something that you don't have to worry about not having because you're you're poor or don't have nice clothes or don't have a lot. Because you know what? The Bible actually says it's easier for the poor and the needy to have faith than it is for the rich. The Bible says for the rich to have faith when it comes to salvation is about as easy as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Boom. 
So the Bible says those who are suffering, who don't have a lot here, faith comes easier to them. Why do you think in third world countries we see more miracles? We see more church growth. Because the less they have makes it easier to have faith. So instead of cursing and getting upset that you don't have a whole lot, thank the Lord because in your faith it's producing, I mean in your trial, it's producing more and more faith. That's why most people... In the ministry that have the greatest ministries were not handed it down to them by their daddy. Young Ji Cho started with four people in South Korea after the Korean War. The pastors that we admire here in America start with nothing. You know why? Because they have to realize, it's God, you're my only source. God, you're my only source. And they start having giant faith and great faith and mountains start moving. And that's why things start exploding. Usually people who are handed things, usually the second generation of a move of God just plateaus or goes down. Because they didn't have to have faith to build the Methodist movement. They didn't have to have faith in Israel to walk through the, 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 the waters. And they, they let it die and they plateau and they go down. You see, it's always those who start with nothing that have to fight just for the little things they have that do great things for God. So don't put yourself down if you're starting with nothing. I didn't have, uh, my daddy wasn't a preacher. My granddaddy wasn't a preacher. I'm a first generation preacher. So be encouraged if you're in a lowly state right now because Bible says he's chosen those who are lowly to turn down those, to overturn those who are high. He's chosen those without names to be greater than those with names. Amen. Praise God for that. Love. Instead of money, have love. Love. How many marriages today have money but have no love? Come on. They have money but they don't have love. How many people do they have a couple dollars in their pocket at least but don't have nothing when it comes to love? Pursue it. It flows from the Spirit. The Bible also says endurance. Don't give up. Nancy and I are 100% blown away by what has happened in five years. I mean, I've heard people talk about it. If you can get past the five-year mark, if you can get past the five, there's something at five years. Nancy always used to talk about it. And now for the first time, we're seeing multiplication we're not just seeing one or two people come to church. We're seeing sometimes upward to ten visitors. Yesterday's service was the biggest service we've had since the grand opening. It hasn't gone down and dipped. It's building itself up. We're already thinking in our hearts and minds, how can we have two services? The youth group is exploding right now. It's moving forward. My friends, why five years? Endurance. I, I want to encourage you with that because I wish more people would have encouraged me. Here's the simple statement. I heard it when I started this second church. I didn't know it beforehand, even though some people had mentioned it to me. But here it is in, in some way or another. But I love it like this. We overestimate what God will do in a year. and We underestimate what he will do in five years. Think about this. I'm not saying we can't believe God for great things. But we overestimate the year. We, we think, oh, in this year, it's all got to happen. This after-school program's got to happen. This youth ministry's got to happen. And if in a year it doesn't happen, we're about ready to throw up our hands and give up. Because we overestimate. We really think God's on our time schedule like a year's a long time to Him. And then we underestimate what He'll do in five years. Like right now, when I say to you, are you willing after you graduate to wait five years to even expect a dollar out of ministry. Some of you are like, ooh, ooh, that's, ooh, that's, oh, that's a lot to ask. But think about that. 
Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to do that? Because think about it. You graduate 25, 28 years old. You sow for five years. You believe for five years. You give for five years. You become, what, 33, 30 years old, most of you. Maybe even younger than that who started earlier. Maybe you're 25 because you graduated at 21 or 26. Now think about this. The rest of your life, you have a foundation. You never have to worry again. My wife and I don't have to worry about the economy. We don't have to worry about ups and downs in ministry because we've got a base now. If you'll build your base in five years, it will be forever be your base. If it's to be a youth pastor, build your base. If it's to be a missionary, build your base. Five years, building a base. And for the rest of your life, no social security, you'll work until you go to heaven with Jesus. Is anybody planning on retiring? I'm just planning on refiring. Amen? Praise God. And then lastly, he talks about gentleness. We all can pursue more gentleness. Amen? We all need to be gentlemen and gentlewomen. That sounds different when you say gentlewoman, but gentleman is where it comes from. And then the last place where the Bible, or where Paul speaks about pursuing, or, or rather fleeing, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee the evil desires of your youth. So what's the first thing we're fleeing from? What are we fleeing from? Sexual immorality. Flee from things that would sin against your own body. Number two, what are we fleeing from? Idolatry. Flee from anything that would be placed above God. Number three, what are we fleeing from? The love of money. Don't pursue money. Pursue God. Money will always follow you. Oh, i got to say this in closing on that point right there. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we're walking with him. We're following him. But at the end, it says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why is it following you? Because you're following Jesus. Everywhere you go, goodness and mercy is following you. Amen? So don't pursue goodness and mercy. Pursue your shepherd and goodness and mercy. Blessings will follow you. So don't seek the blessing. Seek the blesser. Amen. And then lastly, flee evil desires of your youth. I don't know what this means to you today as a young person. But I now can say for the first time I'm out of the days of my youth. I'm still a young man, but I'm not a youth anymore. And Many of you are still Youth in this in this sense right here, I would say maybe into 25, 30 years old. Uh, most of the time in the uh, uh, the tabernacle, you couldn't serve as a priest until you were 30. Hence why Jesus started his ministry at 30. Most believe John the Baptist started at 30. That's when they considered you to be uh, able to be a man in the temple, to vote in different things, around the age of 30. Now, to you and I, we have different things in our generations. But I think at the root, it's always the same. I remember when I was your age, in my 20s, and I was pursuing God. The evil desires of my youth were to put video games, spring break trips, money, fashion, and all those things before God. Now, maybe fashion has changed. Maybe the amount of money you need to be happy has changed. Maybe where you vacation on spring breaks, getting a break in general has changed. But I would guess in your heart you probably still battle with those same things. And I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I would feel like David. And I want to show you that scripture where David cried out basically, why, is, why me? 
Why am I going through all these things? Turn with me to the book of Psalms as I share with you how David felt that he had to give up all these things for God. And sometimes it just did not feel worth it. I'm giving this to you right here in the book of Psalms because this one is the one that uh, would best describe how I used to feel. In the book of Psalms, is it 73? Is it, what does Psalm 73 say? Yes, 73. Thank you, my brother. I loved it so much, but I couldn't remember where it was at. Thank you, Lord. I just felt to share this with you. Psalm 73. Oh, yes. Look at this. Verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. See, I always kept it real with God. So many times I felt that way. Just like, man, one wrong decision, I could be out there on Bourbon Street. One wrong decision, I could be having sex right now. One wrong decision, I could be pursuing a career with money. Hey, I'm off drugs now. I could actually do it. So many times those temptations would come. For I envied the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, I don't know how it comes into your life. Maybe you're looking at young couples right now, and they don't have to do so much work as you. And maybe they didn't go out on the weekends, and they get to take their vacations. I don't know how it tempts you. I don't know how youthful lust tempts you. But I know in some way you are being tempted with it. They ha- now look at how he describes it. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Don't you feel like sometimes like they just look like they're just frolicking along? You know, like when you got drunk, you got sick. They don't seem to get sick. Or when you party like me, I got STDs. And they don't seem to get STDs on these reality shows, right? You know, and, and, and maybe, you know, uh, you know you're, you're suffering a little too much now because they're going to school where they're just taking one or two classes at right, you know. And, and they're hanging out with their friends. And they still show up on Sundays. And, and, hey, why are they, you know, why do I have to commit to one woman? We're, we're you know, we're, we're young here. I could still be dating around, you know, around this time in relationships. People will move on to another shack in relationship. You know what I'm talking about. People will live with their girlfriend, boyfriend for three to five years, move on to somebody else. Then did I marry too young? See, these are youthful us. Y'all looking at me like you don't have any. That's okay. I'll keep it real. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Now, he, you know he's just speaking out of that place of temptation. I mean, because obviously you look at them. They got more junk going on in their life. But when you are being tempted with this, it looks so pretty. Lady Gaga sounds so good. You know what I'm saying? The mall, the clothes they have. If only you weren't tithing, you would have. I mean, nobody has any problems who shops at the mall on Sundays. Their life is perfect. I mean, these are the things you think about. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. For their callous hearts becomes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind knows no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. 
Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. You know what I think about this? I think about these being the rappers and the movie stars, you know, like Matt Damon. Oh, yeah, I just got a new house in a, a Boca Raton, Florida. And I'm thinking about getting one of those islands off of Fiji, you know, like when they're on the David Letterman. It's like, what have you been doing lately? Well, I've been taking up, you know, windsurfing, and I've been sailing around the world, and I did a little charity work in Africa. You ever notice on those talk shows, it's like, it's like this uh, scripture right here. It's like they lay hold of heaven like it's all theirs. There's no problems in life. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up water in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the most I have now? I mean, come on. God doesn't really care. I mean, let me look. If there was a God, I would have been struck by lightning already. I mean, wow. I mean, there's no God. I mean, I say whatever I want, do whatever I want. And look, I still have money. You know, look at Richard Dawkins. He made all that money off those books. And Bill Maher and all these. Oh, they got so much money, Jerry. Look, you use your sense of humor, mock God. You know enough now. You could be the next Bart Ehrman. God surely can't care because there's no God. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. You know, you see this on reality shows now. Housewives of New Jersey, housewives of Alabama, you know, or Atlanta rather. Oh, they're just, they got wealth. They got money. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Don't you feel that way? Oh, I got to pray. I gotta repent. I gotta check my heart again. Was I lusting last night? Oh, I gotta repent to the dude I got angry with. Which I'll give a public repentance right now to my man Davi. I was a little hard on him in the small group uh, in, in our youth meeting. He didn't take notes and 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 do his small group assignment, and they didn't do the uh, the reports. And I said that's why you don't have small groups. And I shouldn't have said that. Do you forgive me? See, look at that. I got to humble myself. See what boss has to do that. See, most bosses, who cares what he thinks? I'll fire him, hire another one. Don't you feel like sometimes it's just so hard for you? I mean, it's like you've got to say you're sorry. You've got to watch your words. You know, you'll be in the post office, and everybody is acting like a jerk, and they deserve to be treated like jerks, but you've got to apologize when you've lost your temper. Because when you walk out, I'm sorry, I'm telling on myself now, and you feel convicted, and you go back, and you go, I'm sorry for saying that. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know how many times I've done things like that. You have to call back people, repent. You have to go back to your husband or wife, say, I'm sorry. Well, hey, man, if you were just in the world, you could say whatever you want. Deal with it. Amen? It says that uh, all day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. So you realize the more you do that, the more sad you get. How many pity patty parties have you had? Come on, be honest. Don't they always end in more pity? It's like you're saying, I'm just going to cry this one time. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get away from me. And then when I do it, I'm going to feel better. <laughs> Nobody loves me. And then, you, and then you let all that pity come, because I've been there. And you, and you let all the lies get in your head. I'm just going to do it one time. And then you, you have your little pity patty party. You sound a little thing. And then you got your little hat on. And at the end of it, you don't feel better. Now you feel worse. Now you start feeling depression start to sit on. Uh, come on, you. Surely you have placed them on slippery, slippery. Oh, excuse me. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. They're placed on slippery ground. They're suddenly destroyed. And as one awakes from a dream, all their hopes are taken away. Would you stand with me, please?
Today, God is looking for a people that are willing to flee from things and flee to uh, pursue him. Flee from sin and pursue God. Flee from what is evil in life today and pursue Jesus. I'm not going to keep us today. I don't have a long prayer for you, but listen to the message again when you need encouragement. Flee from sexual immorality, idolatry, the love of money, and from what we just talked about right here that just slipped my mind, the desires of your youth. Because i got so much on my mind right now looking at that clock. Flee from those things and pursue God. What are you fleeing sexual immorality? And where are you running to? The throne of grace to receive the grace before you sin. When you're fleeing idolatry, what are you fleeing to? A relationship with Jesus, to know him. When you're fleeing money and all those things, what are you running to? The hand of God, trusting in him, having faith, endurance, gentleness. You're running towards all those things. You're working on who you are while you're running from the wrong thing. And when you're fleeing evil desires of your youth, what are you pursuing? And we didn't get to finish the scripture, but it says pursue faith like all those who call out of God out of a pure heart. Pursue faith, summarizing it again. Just pursue the right thing and get around the right people. Hang out with each other. Make it fun being a Christian. And I don't just mean that like it's all about your emotions. I'm saying it's okay to have costume parties. I'm actually defending that right now on Facebook towards the religious hypocrites of our day, amen, who need to get saved, okay? And if you hear any of those lies, tell them they're religious hypocrites and you rebuke them in Jesus' name. And if you want to have long discussions with them, you can. But, but I've given them the long discussion. And if they continue, they're religious hypocrites. But listen to it. It's okay. I look back on one passion when I was a youth pastor at Belmont. One of the most funnest things I did was a costume party with the one passion guy. I still have the picture in my office, and it's always been there. Have I learned not to focus on those things? Have I learned to remove those things? Yes. But it's okay to have fun. It's okay for me to go wakeboarding today. Make Christianity the pursuit of God and the things that he loves. And he loves it when you take a Sabbath. He loves it when you rest, when you hang out with your family. So when you flee all those wrong things, you can enjoy your life. You're not getting tortured every day. You you, you don't have to feel like David. Those things are lies. That is an over-exaggeration. Their life is not perfect, okay? Because when I look, oh, I wish I had a boat like them. Look at them. They can have a boat. Then you hang around with them and they have no families. Their family. Their kids are on drugs. I'm t- I mean, you remember I told you my examples from the suburbs growing up? I'm seeing it all over again now in this lake community that I hang out with. I would never trade what they have for that boat. It's not worth it, guys. So whatever you're thinking you need today, sex, money, idols, youthful lust, you don't. All you need is Jesus. Father, help us to know and remember all we need is you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Will you bless the Lord?